Hey there, this is Kevin Scott. I'm the writer of Dooku Jedi Lost, and you're listening to the Living Force Podcast. You're listening to the Living Force. Trust the Force. A Utini podcast. Stretch out with your feelings. Episode 19, an interview with Delilah S. Dawson. Be mindful of the Living Force, young Padawan. On this episode, we sit down with the author of Galaxy's Edge Black Spire to talk about... You guessed it, Star Wars. Luminous beings, Zoe. Not this food matter. And now here are your hosts, Dr. Corey Halton and Dr. Charles Henkel. Welcome to another episode of the Living Force Podcast. Eric, as we just mentioned, is not able to be with us this week, which is an utter tragedy. But that means that you are stuck with not but the doctors. On that, I'm one of your co-hosts, uh, Dr. Corey Helton. I'm joined by my lovely comrade in medicine, Dr. Charles Hankel. Charles, how are you? I am doing wonderful. It is my one day off this week, and I've been having a blast recording back-to-back, a usual episode uh, that we did on our Thrawn Treason Roundtable, and now here with a very special guest. Yes, that is excellent. Now, friends, we have a very special surprise for you this week because we are joined by one of the Star Wars Expanded Universe superstars. Now, she has written a number of incredible contributions to the Star Wars galaxy, including The Perfect Weapon, a short story, Scorch, which was from Star Wars Insiders, The Secrets of Long Snoot, one of my favorite short stories from from a certain point of view. Uh, it's about the Kubaz in... Um, uh, a New Hope, which the audiobook is utterly fantastic for that episode because he does this really nasally voice the whole time. One of my personal favorites, the adult novel Phasma, multiple comics, including Star Wars Adventures, Forces of Destiny, and the so far incredible addition to the canon expanded universe, the upcoming adult novel Galaxy's Edge, Black Spire. Now, you may also know her from her other non-Star Wars works, the Blood series and the Shadow series, which she wrote as her pseudonym, Lila Bowen? Is that how you pronounce it? Lila? Yeah, because that, I mean, if you yell Lila, I'm going to look up because it sounds like the end of Delilah. Like, it's a very lazy. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Okay. I see. I see. I see. Well, here's a very special welcome to the one, the only Delilah S. Dawson. Delilah, how are you doing today? I, I have been better. I've been, I had, I contracted a stomach bug sometime in the night. Mm. <laughs> so that's why we're not having videos. I'm covered in petechiae and I look like a little red raccoon. Did I you just use the word petechiae? That is amazing. You're she you're did. you're on air with two doctors. I'm sorry that we can't do more for you. Uh, we don't typically practice medicine. We don't typically practice medicine on the podcast. <laughs> I mean, it, it could be done. We are both family doctors. Um, we're both in our residency. We actually, funny enough, did not figure out that we were both like we knew that we were both med students, and we knew that we were both going to be doctors when we when we kind of first met but like we didn't find out that we were going into the same field which is family medicine until like i don't know three months before we matched which is super weird i don't know why didn't you think i was going to be a pediatrician or something yeah i can't remember we we were just all kind of mixed up i thought you were going into er it was really weird and now and now we uh, are still not that far away either we don't live too far so yeah, okay. Charles and I have never met. We both live in different states, but uh, yeah. You haven't like met a celebration or anything? We did not. No, no. Hopefully next year. Charles doesn't have tickets yet, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Maybe so. Now, Delilah, you and I talked a very long time ago. I don't know if you noticed that in that little Twitter conversation we had earlier today, but like we have some direct messages from like two years ago that I yeah. completely forgot about. 2017. Um, 
Yes, yes. So back in the day, we sold book boxes. Like we would like help people get into the books for the first time by actually selling them the books. And when we first launched Utini, that was about the month that Phasma came out. Yeah, and it was one of the first we, ones, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It was very early on, and like I had just read that, and we used Phasma as sort of the like basis of our prototype. It was a pretty high profile book. Like it gave us a chance to really create what we did, and we made like a magazine and all kinds of cool stuff. That's right. And you were kind enough to send us a really great photo uh with a cardinal helmet i think or at least a red oh, helmet yeah my cardinal helmet my precious that... baby where like if the house was on fire i would get my children and my dog and cat and then the cardinal helmet <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing that's amazing so i totally forgot about that and i'm really glad it worked out for us to kind of reconnect back today and, and get you in here so yeah, thanks, thanks a lot for, for being here having me and thanks for spreading the phasma joy and and yeah glad to be here Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's just dive right in. We're super informal. So, you know, just like call us out on anything you want to. And uh, if there's anything you want to talk about, feel free to throw it in and we can just dive right in. So I know that you've written a number of novels and short stories and other comics in a truly ridiculous amount of genres. Like, do you have a personal favorite genre that you've written in? I mean, whichever one I'm writing in at the time. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> when, I, when I first started um, writing uh, in like 2009, my first book I wrote was like women's urban fantasy. And then the second one was a middle grade adventure. And then the third one that got the agent became the first blood book, Wicked As They Come. But like, I remember having the call on the phone with the agent and she was like, well, we, you know, what's your brand? And I was like, I'm just going to write whatever I want. And <laughs> like, like you know, yes. I think I can't, I'm not going to just do one thing forever. So yeah, I always knew right. I'd hop around a bunch. But I definitely like, I, I really like that I got to write uh, Kill the Farm Boy with my buddy Kevin Hearn, um, that series, the the Tales of Paul series. It's, it's got three books in it. But it's just like writing, you know, uh, Terry Pratchett-esque humor with one of my best friends. <laughs> nice. That's fantastic. Is there like, is there like something that, like a genre that you haven't written in yet that maybe you have an interest in or have got your eye on or something like that? Um... I'm I'm working on a book idea that is more of a kind of a, a literary science fiction fantasy book, or I guess literary science fiction. That's kind of like big points of view. I'm trying to learn Scrivener. Um, I'm terrified of the book, like because wow. it's a little bit more sweeping. To point B, sure. Um, one point of view, sort of. So I'm working on that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I just story comes, I figure out which uh, you know medium and genre, and just do it. And sometimes I'm wrong. Like I wrote a. Wake of Vultures uh, and thought that it was a YA and it sold as an adult fantasy. And I was like, all right, that's, that's <laughs> wow. That's interesting. That's super interesting. Now you are pretty unique in that you've written under a, under a pseudonym before. And yeah. like, can you kind of give us a little idea of like, like why did you do that? Do you recommend more writers do that? Like that's super interesting. Um, well, for one thing, I always figured with all of the different genres I write and how hard it is to break out as a writer, I kind of always figured that I would have a pseudonym. Um, it was never, something that I was like really conflicted about. So I, I had some picked out for a while there. I was like, I want my pseudonym to be like Dick Manly. It's the manliest, most masculine name I could think of. And, I'll, like, <laughs> and um, you know, have like a really like dark author photo and like a turtleneck holding a cocker spaniel or whatever. And <laughs> I was, like, you no, know, dial it back a bit. Um, but yeah, so I, all of my books at that time were with uh, Simon and Schuster. So I had the blood series, I had hit and strike and servants of the storm, which are all YA. Mm -hmm. um, and I was all Simon and Schuster, and then we sold Wake of Vultures to Orbit, and uh, Orbit kind of wanted to do their own. Re they wanted the benefit. You kind of get this new little uh, rebirth as a debut. You get a little bit of extra and and interest in the book, um, so it kind of worked out for them and us. And of course, the the two publishers didn't really want to pay to you know 
publicize each other. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. Nice. That's yeah. awesome. And it's also always been an open secret. Like it's on my Twitter and Instagram handles and you know, it's everybody knows it. Uh, so that's handy too. Cause I would not be very good at keeping that secret. Yes. Was it, was it intentionally, was it originally the intention to keep it a secret? Oh no, it, it never was. It was, okay. it was more of a, 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 you know, marketing ploy. Um, but yeah. also Lila is just, you know, a, the short tail end of Delilah. And then Bowen is an old family name from my hometown. Nice. That's a much better name than my, you know, last name I was born with. Very cool. Um, now, we actually recently got to talk to Kevin Scott uh, here on oh, the show, awesome. and yeah, yeah, and he he's fantastic. We had a ton of fun with him. Uh, and like Kevin, you have written books as well as comics, and so we talked to him a little bit about this. But we'd love to hear what are your thoughts on the biggest difference between writing comics and writing a novel. Oh, um, well, you know, comics are, uh, you know, I, I, I tell this story where like I was into comics when I was younger. I had a very bad experience at a comic store in my teens and I like cried and never went back. I had that feeling of oh, like, no. not for you. You know, they made fun of me for what I was buying and I was just like, okay, we're done. So I, I didn't set foot in a comic store for like, oh gosh, like 12, 15 years. Um, wow. wow. And so when I went back in, uh, cause I had kids and, you know, we wanted to see what, uh, free comic book day was like and I found Saga and it was like oh my god there's a book that's made for me <laughs> so it was super exciting um, to get back into comics like that and it made me want to write comics as well um, and you know some stories you really need uh, the illustrations like um, I have this comic called Sparrowhawk that's out with Boom Studios that I tried to write as a YA book I got like 40,000 words in and I was like this is not working the magic is not translating like I don't know what I'm doing, but it's wrong. And then I put it away for like five years and came back and was like, oh, it needed illustration. And so now it's a comic. So they're, you know, the stories that lend themselves to comics for me are ones where it, the story wouldn't be told as well without the visuals. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And so, you know, like the Star Wars Adventures and Star Wars Forces of Destiny comics are things that, you know, IDW asked me if I would like to pitch for them and write for them. Um, so it's like, I don't go to them with the ideas. They come to me. Right. And, oh, we want like a Padme and Am- or a, a Padme and Jar Jar comic or an Emmeline and Leia comic. And then I get to kind of pitch ideas with them. Uh, right. But I always go for things that I think that would make like really interesting, fun visuals. Um, I love inventing weird animals. I love um, oh, yeah. taking the characters to areas you haven't seen before. Um, like yeah. in the, the Leia and Haldo comic, I don't think is out yet, but they go to a place you haven't seen before in Star Wars. So yeah, just like stretching what the stories you can tell with the visuals is is what's fun there. Like in the um, Star Wars Adventures 18 with the um, Padme and Jar Jar, we had this one scene where it's like they're going into a cave. And so I showed it almost like that kind of old fashioned, like family circus style where you can like see the path that they've taken where they're on the page multiple times and stuff happens to them where like you can't really do that cool. in prose, but it was so much fun yeah. to see Derek Charm draw it. That's Man. awesome. Wow. Well so I'm I'm sorry that you had that experience uh back in the day, but it sounds like you've really, you know, taken comics back. Now you're writing the darn things. So that's yeah, awesome. Right. Well I that's feel right. like that's I, I love that we're learning now that, you know, like, you know, women and girls are a really big part of, you know, the comic and gaming community and and that people are kind of realizing that and, and catering to them. And also, you know, I mean, my totally. son is uh, 10 and like Giant Days is his favorite comic. It's about, you know, like three British college students. And it's not a thing that I would have been like, oh, I should look for this for you. But like, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We've, ta- we've talked about that a little on the show too. Like it's been really awesome. Like 
for us as Star Wars fans to see, because women have always been such a huge part of Star Wars. Like Princess Leia was so many people's hero and Carrie Fisher, may she rest in peace. But like, seriously, I mean, the new Star Wars stuff has been amazing with so much focus on women and it's been really awesome. And we've really, really enjoyed that. And especially to see it in the expanded universe too, because we've gotten a lot of really great stuff in the EU like Phasma. So um, that's been awesome. Yeah. And, and something to bring up specifically, because Delilah, I know you may not be super familiar with the Living Force and Utini in general, but we actually have something that we call the Utini fan code. And it essentially just says that, you know what, Star Wars is for everyone and there's something for everyone in it. It's a giant galaxy and it reflects people in real life, whether that is you know, your gender or any other aspect about yourself. And we truly believe that this is something that can be enjoyed by everybody. And we try to make sure that that happens. And we're very open and accepting about any viewpoints that are, that are part of the audience that is coming to the show. Um, and, and we just, we believe in not gatekeeping essentially. So what you're saying is right in line with the message of this show. And we can definitely appreciate that. Yeah. That was one of the things um, that was really on my mind when I was writing Phasma was that, you know, as someone who, who read the legends books and, and cared about the EU um, in writing a book, I wanted to do fan service to, um, you know, the, the past generation fans who wanted a certain kind of story, but also make it a book that if you've only ever seen the force awakens, you can read Phasma and know what's going on. You're not going to feel like, Oh God, I don't know what, you know, you've alluded to here. I don't know what Corellian wine is, you know, but to try to, yeah. that it, it could be your first star Wars book and you would feel at home there. Um, but still have like those nods to the classics that we all know and love. Cause I mean, it's, it's so important to just welcome all the Star Wars fans to it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, speaking of other Star Wars fans, like in, on your Twitter, you've given a lot of advice for other writers, whether they're writing, um, writing for new, whether they're veter- veteran writers. Like, did you have somebody in your own life that sort of mentored you or sort of like helped you in that type of way? Because you really seem super open to giving lots of advice and helping out other folks. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like paying it forward to the next generation is, is an important part of being a, a writer with a kind of public um, public life on, on Twitter, which Twitter has helped me a lot. I guess I wrote my first book in uh, 2009, and I got on Twitter in 2008 or 2009. And some of the first people that I met there when I was looking for writers are people that, I mean, like, I remember in my first coterie, like, there was Chuck Wendig was one of the first people I kind of became friends with there before either of us was published. Um Remember Tahara Mafi, I remember when she was first coming out um, as a writer before, you know, Victoria Schwab, like I knew these people that have just like gone and eclipsed me and are like these huge big deals. And it's been so amazing to watch them. But I don't think that I would be published without the help of Twitter, without the agents and editors, without the blogs, without the people willing to answer questions, without the the pitch contests and things. Um, Everything I know about getting published, I learned on my couch while nursing a baby in Atlanta when I was. That's amazing. So yes, yeah. and and there's also there's so many. It's like what I my thing on Twitter is I like I will always answer an ungoogleable question, because there's so many things you're like I don't know how to ask. I don't know if this is normal. Um, lots of the times, unfortunately, if you just type something into Google now, you can be led to a site that looks legit, but it's actually a predatory press. Uh, yeah saying things that will lead to you falling for their predatory press. Sure. Um, so sure. Yeah, definitely trying to, to help people make good choices because uh, writing the writing community is, I didn't know what I wanted to do as a human being. And, or, you know, like um, I have an art degree, uh, 
and I painted murals and ran galleries, but I always feel like I never found my feet as an artist. Like I never found my body of work. And it was really like a soul crushing problem that would really bother me. As soon as I started writing, I found it and I found my voice and I want other people to get to feel that too. Instead of feeling like, Oh, I can't, I can't write. I'm too old or I don't have an MF sure. or I, you know, I don't have a nice enough computer or anything like that. Like anybody can, can do this at any age and it's not easy. Yeah. It's easier, but you can still do it. That's so cool. That's that's yeah that's amazing we all have our mentors and like i don't know that anybody can truly say that they've gotten where they are without the help of someone and like if you can't name like who that person is like or at least a group of people that have sort of helped you get somewhere then like i think like you're probably lying to yourself <laughs> because like you just can't get anywhere without the help of others and like we totally believe that as utini also and like especially with star wars like it, it can just be so gatekeepy and for somebody who maybe discovers Star Wars like through the the new uh, the new stuff, right? The post the yeah. Disney acquisition, like especially kids and stuff. Like uh, one of the reasons we try to to be as open of a community as we are is because there's just so many people, like you said, that just can stumble upon sort of predatory information. And Star Wars fans are the best, but they're also the worst. So like, <laughs> it, it's important to sort of keep the lens in which you're looking at it through pure and happy and joyful. And and I totally I totally get all that too. I'll tell you what really um i find super affirming um when you know you see one thing online um and i i don't i don't get as much um guff as as some other people um but when you go to celebration and you see that the people who bottle show up are the most lovely supporting yeah totally like the people that are willing to you know find the hotel and the airfare and make the costumes like and it's so child friendly and people are so kind to everyone like i yeah celebration is like I, if, if I had a family reunion of, that I, of people that I liked, like that would be it. Yeah, and, you know, the totally. Star Wars authors, all those Star Wars authors um, and the editors, they're amazing. Like they're my favorite people to hang out with. They're such a nice crew. Like the, the Delray editors, um, I guess they don't want to work with jerks. So everybody's just super nice. Yeah, Fair we enough. have totally found that to be true also. And like we will reflect everything you said. We've said it a thousand times on the show before. I went to Celebration for the first time in, in Chicago this year and like it was been on my bucket list for like a decade. And I was so nervous going to it. I've heard, I've heard so many people say this about Celebration Chicago this year that like everybody was kind of nervous because this was the first one post, post Last Jedi, right? And all the negative media attention that it got. And man, what a breath of fresh air Celebration was this year. It really was fantastic. All right, now, so before we dive into, like, the really nitty-gritty Star Wars talk about this episode, let's take a quick break to hear from a member of the Utini team, and we will be right back. Hey, guys. It's Meg. I write things for Utini, and sometimes you hear my voice on this fabulous podcast. I just wanted to take a second to formally explain my Captain Phasma obsession to all of you. I feel like I owe you. At this point, the thing about Phasma that makes her so unforgettably amazing is she has a cape, guys. A dark, flowing, over-the-shoulder, chrome armor wasn't quite enough to assess my authority over your existence. Cape. Wouldn't we all feel more powerful if capes were a thing? Okay, fine. My love for our captain is ever so slightly less shallow, but come on, guys. Capes. Please subscribe to my podcast about Phasma and capes, which doesn't actually exist unless you want it to. Okay, enjoy the rest of the show. Bye. And now we are back. To give Eric homage, I have to say... That was probably the best clip that I think I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we 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 should probably ask Delilah. What did you think about that clip? <laughs> I I'm still trying to emotionally recover. 
Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. Yes, excellent. Now, Delilah, something we have to ask that we ask everyone that comes on the show. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how you first came to Star Wars? What was your sort of first exposure to Star Wars? Um, and then kind of what was your first exposure to the expanded universe of the books and comics? Sure. So um, I was born in 77, back in the days when movies were not on demand at your fingertips. Yes. Um, so I knew of Star Wars. Um, I had Star Wars sheets and I played Star Wars figures, but I hadn't, of course, seen the movie because you couldn't really do that. Um, but I have this very important memory of when the Ewok Adventure uh, Battle for Endor came on TV and it was, yes. I got to stay up late, which was a big deal. I didn't get to stay up late very often. And like, I watched the whole thing and it, I didn't quite know, you know what it was going into it. But what I came out with was that uh, there was a little girl who um, was the hero of a story in which she made friends with lovable murder bears. Yes. And I was <laughs> like, I'm in this forever. Um, That's amazing. Like that year um, for Christmas, I got, uh, and I know I saw Return of the Jedi, um, but I got my, uh, my Ewoks. I had Princess Nisa, who I still have. I had Paplu and Nippet. Wow. Um, which I, I think we lost Pablo and Nippet when my parents moved, but I still have Nisa. She's missing her little headscarf. Um, but yeah, ever since, and I had, you know, the, I had, I remember being super young and having the little um, book on, on tape where you would, you know, mm -hmm. like R2D2 go, you have to like, you know, turn the page. Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. And then, you know, as I saw them, you know, they became, I think of Star Wars like history. Like, I don't think about, oh, maybe the director could have made a different change here. Maybe Lucas could have done that. I'm just like, no, yeah. this happened. This is like Herbert Hoover. It's real. Yeah, totally. It's always been there. Um, the prequels, I saw them all in the theater on opening night. We were late to our rehearsal dinner because we were at Attack of the Clones. Wow. At the first showing up in Clemson. So That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, always always been in it. And then um, the Expanded Universe, though, I didn't actually find out about the books. Um or they weren't really on my radar until I guess I was in my, my twenties. And uh, when my husband and I moved in together and he brought his entire collection and it was like, well, hello. <laughs> um, <laughs> what I a nice surprise. Still remember when I was on, I was on a treadmill at an LA fitness when Chewie uh, met that moon. Oh my and gosh. It me so much. I like, fell on the treadmill and like zooped off the back of it like people doing movies you're like how is that even possible Are you serious like, i was so upset that is terrible but hilarious it is but you know bob salvatore is like the nicest nicest dude so it's like it's kind of healed because it's like they made bob do that and bob's a good guy He's yeah <laughs> that's funny Eric was telling us uh, last a couple weeks back that he's he was working on a set uh, and he had uh, he had a moon fall like from up the up up stage and hit him in the head and we kept making jokes that he got chewied. Uh, well, that that he'll come back to life in twenty years at least. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that was uh, uh, that was such a big controversy when that happened too. Like when they decided to to kill off our beloved furry friend in in that book. I didn't fall off of a treadmill, but metaphorically and emotionally, I did fall off of that treadmill, you know? <laughs> um, so that's, it's great to hear that you've kind of been involved for such a long time. I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and hear about some of your recent things uh, that you've brought or that you're working on now. So when did you first find out that you were going to be writing Black Spire and what were your initial thoughts when you heard about the project? Well, um, when I wrote Phasma, 
uh, and of course, you know, Star Wars books are kind of um, outlined by committee with input from, you know, various parts of the Star Wars world. Uh, but I created the character of Bai Marathi, um as as this spy uh, who, you know, infiltrated a Star Destroyer. Well, I mean, she didn't infiltrate so much. She got captured and then ended up on the Star Destroyer. But point being, like, her original name was Amaka Marathi. And right before the book went to print, uh, we were asked, hey, would you mind changing her name to Vi Marathi so we could maybe use her for other things? And we we're like, yeah, like, you can name her, you know, Bodimit Boatface. You're going to use her in more stuff. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, they, they managed to change her name at the last minute. And then we saw, I guess, at... Um, Galactic Knights, like 2017, maybe even when they they finally revealed uh, the Galaxy's Edge was going to exist, there was a little card you could get of, um, you know, a a black woman in a resistance jacket with a gun. It was like, you know, Vi Marathi escapes the First Order, and we we're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's amazing. Because um, nobody really told us what was going on, but we just that's when we kind of found out that she was going to be an active part of the park. Wow. And then as we learned more and more, and we like she's the star of the park, kind of. Uh, yeah. It was incredible. I think it was probably at a bar at a con at some point, but I don't exactly remember. But I remember my editor being like, you know, Black Spire coming out. We might need to write some more Vi Marathi. And I was like, oh boy, I know who could be good at that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was kind of a, it wasn't like a, you know, when I got at the, the email about the perfect weapon, when that showed up, it was like one of those moments you remember forever, but I don't quite remember the moment when, you know, Black Spire as a book became like a real thing because all yeah. like, okay, how's that coming along? Oh, we've talked about this. I do remember when I got permission to put Cardinal in there because uh, I really wanted to continue his story. Um, and he's kind of a natural foil to buy. Uh, so that was really super cool. But yeah, it's it's been, um, it's, you know, for Phasma, I got to go out to San Francisco and read the script for um, The Last Jedi to help wow. the character. Um, but for Black Spire, I had a call with Imagineers and was given like this huge PDF. It's like 170 pages, but there's like no tabs or searching. So it's like, scrolling wow. and like my name is on it oh. in huge watermarks. So it was a very different process, but it was also super cool getting to, you know, see in advance what what Galaxy's Edge was going to be like. That's amazing. Yeah. V and Cardinal, Vine. you say Vi? Is I it Vi? Vi? Okay. I say, I say V. I've always said V in my head. I haven't listened to the audiobook for Phasma um before that usually usually you correct we you know in the in the eu folks we will correct our pronunciation based on how the audiobook sounds so yeah. uh v and cardinal are, are, have both kind of become sort of superstars of canon expanded universe like there's a couple there's a couple folks that like basically everybody knows about even if you're not super into like the eu that like everybody knows who thrawn is like from legends and now he was in rebels tv show and stuff like what has it been like to bring back characters like 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 Vi and Cardinal like for Galaxy's Edge. Oh, it's it's incredible. Um, Vi, you know, a lot of times when you're writing a Star Wars book, you're taking characters that are either very well established in movies or that someone else has written, and you're expanding them um, while staying true to their voice, to their story, to knowing their history. I mean, writing for Han, he kind of writes himself. Leia, you have to be very thoughtful because we have like layers of Leia over the years, that sort of right. Thing. Um, but Vi, like I. I created her, so I feel like I know her really, really well. Um, so she's very easy to write. And uh, as you see when you read Black Spire, um, Cardinal, who's now going by his his uh, original name of Archex before he joined. Totally. Before, he is, uh, he's, I mean, he's a man who has, uh, you know, seen his entire 
life uh, crumble before his eyes, who has made strange choices. And he's trying to figure out a lot of the book is, you know, he's trying to figure out um, who he is in the world and, and what he believes and, and what he's going to stand up for. You know, when you learn that the thing that you've put all of your trust and your time and your heart into is a lie, uh, how do you pick up from that? And he and Vi are also, um, they are people who have PTSD. And I feel like that's a thing we maybe don't see as much in Star Wars, where we have these people fighting wars and on the run, and then they're just always fine. And, you know, people who go to war and people who face things in their lives, like trauma stays with you. Like, I, it's hard to believe that, you know, everybody in Star Wars is sleeping soundly at night without Star Wars mega medicine. So I want yeah. to, <laughs> you know, people that, that live with trauma and keep going anyway. Yeah, that's 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 so awesome. That was one of my favorite parts. Rogue One is my favorite Star Wars film. I've been pretty. Well, open those about people that. don't have PTSD though. Yeah, well, that's they true. That's true. The they didn't make it. They got they got chewied. They got chewed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that whole scene where um uh where uh Captain Andy uh Andor is kind of like, listen, we all have our our past. We've all done awful awful stuff for the rebellion. I'm like, mm, yes, give me that. <laughs> That nitty gritty real people war stuff. I love that. That's been sick. Which, you know, is not to say that, it, like, it's not a, I don't think, a, a dour book or, or grimdark or anything. I, I feel sure. like it's a combination of Brooklyn Nine Nine and Star Wars combined with <laughs> a group therapy session. <laughs> That's very accurate. Oh. Combined with a travel log. Yeah, totally. That's amazing. Um, so, you know, speaking of trying to make your story a little bit more like the real world, let's talk about if it was a challenge for writing a story and a planet and characters that people are actually going to go visit in real life with this galaxy's edge park, you know, they're going to see Vi walking around. They're going to be walking through the areas that you write about. What were the challenges of having that kind of a situation for this book? Um, you know, the, the cha- I guess the biggest challenge is that I am uh, navigationally stupid um, I don't understand Northeast Southwest. Like I, I can go up to <laughs> classic Mario. So the maps they were given, or they gave me were like, you know, they fit on a computer screen, like PDF, but I right. couldn't expand them because it's not that kind of PDF. So I couldn't blow it up. So I couldn't quite see. So I'm trying to explain routes to things. Um, and also the Disneyland and the Disney world parks are very in a couple of little places. So I had to describe things that were slightly different in two places and that I also couldn't really tell what they were. And so I, like I sent, I remember sending the Imagineers um, an email that was like, Hey, could you guys, I know everything's very hush hush. Could you send me like a paper map or like, I, I need to <laughs> And so they just like sent me the same copy of the same map. And I was like, oh, <laughs> um, that's so funny. That was my biggest challenge was trying to say, you know, like when you're walking here to here, you know, it's like, if you're actually at the Disneyland galaxy's edge, the distance from the resistance forest to the city is like, you know, 30 seconds, but yeah. on the map and in the story, you know, it's like a half a mile because sure. you can't like hide 30 seconds outside the city. Like that's crazy. Right. Um, but one of the really cool things about writing it was that I was given character sketches of these characters, like Ogagara who runs the cantina and is like the local mob boss or, you know, uh, Mubo who runs the droid depot um, Sabaka, who runs the toy shop, um, the character Selju. I was given like two or three page stories on them, on their relationships with people, on their history, but I got to kind of write their voices for the first time. Um, so I got to stab cool. characters, um, which was really nice. And then for the gatherers, uh, the people who, you know, work at the lightsaber building station, um, I got to like design some of their their rituals and their talk tracks and, and how their their group of people works. 
So it was really cool in getting to kind of take an idea and really flesh it out and, and make it real. That's awesome. Now, did you get did you get to like personally go and like check out a lot of the new stuff like at, at Galaxy's Edge before it was done or anything like that? No, like I begged and begged. I'm in Tampa, I'm an <laughs> hour and a half from Orlando, and I was like, "Yeah, y'all, like if you said to me, you know, be here in 45 minutes, I'd probably get a ticket, but I could do it." Yeah, <laughs> um, you know, that's like, hilarious. You don't, have to, you don't have to pay for my travel, like whatever. I've got my annual pass. We're fine, but like, please, I just need to like walk around it, smell it. And they're like, oh, well, there's mud. And I was like, I mean, I don't go lashes, man. It's Florida. It's cool. It's <laughs> That's so funny. Which That's so funny. You couldn't make that happen. I was, I was, I had access to a couple of Imagineers who were super kind in answering my questions. And I tried not sure. to them horribly yeah. fangirl on them. Um, but you'll be going ASAP, I'm assuming. Well, I did get to go to the opening at Disneyland. Okay, um, nice. Oh, perfect. So kind of uh, me and two of my editors, Elizabeth and Keith, we had a great time. Uh, That's amazing. We to the, the kind of soft or the media opening. Uh-huh. Where so was it – so you had a lot of like sort of written information about it. Uh, but like how did it – how did it like stand up to your expectations seeing how like so – you were sort of in on the inside before it was all like totally finalized. So what was it like – like, had you already finished? You had already finished Black Spire, I assume, by that time, right? I had, but we worked it out so that after I went to Black Spire, I had six days to turn around a complete edit on the book for anything that I wanted okay. to jive with the, the actual world. So, like, uh -huh. that was also including, I think it was Denver Comic Con that weekend. So it was it was mm. a real busy little weekend. Yeah. Um, and I was Did you make a lot of changes based on what you experienced there? Um, not a lot, but it was, it was more like, you know, adding white truffle salt to a dish that was already cooked pretty well, I think. I see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little touches of gold, um, or, you know, things like, uh, the way that the Droid Depot was described in the book, I remember when I walked in and you can see, like, the droid parts on the conveyor belt up top, like, that wasn't in the description. Interesting. So I would add that in, or, you know, like, uh, walking into Doc Ondar's Den of Antiquities, God, if Star Wars is in your blood, this place is just nuts. It's so it's so good and so yeah. well done. But Doc Ondar's Sin of Antiquities, like bribing actual pieces. Like when I wrote it in, you know, I tried to give like three or four objects that would be in there. And then I actually saw them and was like, Oh my god, right. this is the Kalish mask. And you know, oh well, there's a that's an Ewok headdress, but you wouldn't know that unless you've been to Endor. So instead of including that, I should talk about the baby Sarlacc. Just things like that, like the things that your eye would naturally pick out were the things that I went with in the final draft. Whereas in yeah. the first draft, it was things that they called out in the text or like reasonable guesses. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I, I really just, I've just finished that chapter like, like two days ago in, in Black Spire where you talk about sort of walking through like everything. And it, it is very apparent that, that you actually saw a lot of it. Like yeah. that's something that was very stood out to me. That's kind of different. I think from a lot of writer descriptions because writers are often very good at world building and stuff. And this was like, this was, this was that beautiful star Wars world building plus like something else. Like it was almost like textile. You could feel it. Like it was weird. Like I read the chapter like two or three times because it was so good. I really did feel like I was walking through the world when, while I was reading that it was One of really the original awesome. notes. I remember getting back. So when you get back, um, you know, most books you send it to your editor and you get back a document with comments from one person and this, any star Wars book has comments from like 17 people and sometimes mm -hmm. the story group will like get into like a, um, you know, descending argument on why we couldn't have a B wing in the story. And I'm like, just tell me <laughs> you guys, I don't care. <laughs> um, yeah so but in, in this one you know they were like well it kind of reads like um you know a traveler's log like a from frommers or whatever and i was like 
but to be fair, don't we kind of want that? Like, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I want. If I couldn't go there to get there, I want to get them to be like, Oh, yeah. that's such and such. Oh, that's the trial on wishing tree. And I remember reading that that's what this is. Um, or like there was one thing in the, in my PDF that said that Oga killed her Wookiee lover, Doran, um, outside of the cantina. And so I really like that little story. And it's about like, there's one piece of like the, there's stairs and there's a railing and the railing is broken. And that's from when she shot Doran. So like, I told that story in the book as the first time that Vi sees Oga. Um, so oh, wow. I like that idea that, you know, when you're there at Oga's Cantina, if you've read the book, you'd be like, oh, that's where Oga shot Doran. Yeah, when 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 they first announced this whole line of sort of Galaxy's Edge books and comics and stuff, we were originally like, "Wow, this is not the announcement that we saw coming at all." Like, we were, at first we were like, "This is kind of strange. They've, nobody's ever done anything like this with Star Wars and some connection with some kind of real world events." Like, we were in a in a in a in a kind of weird kind of way a little disappointed that this wasn't some kind of new. We knew that some big marketing thing was in the works because of all the rumors that we had heard, but like, we didn't had we had no idea it was gonna have something to do with like disneyland like that was just not even on our radar and when they announced it we we're like uh really like disneyland is this all gonna be like a, a giant marketing pitch to go to disneyland and it has not been at all it's yeah. like been something completely different and it's really just got us all super jacked to go there because like if you have read that entire line of products like the like the comics and the couple books that have been out like you are gonna walk into galaxy's edge with a like predetermined knowledge and be able to see things that you've imagined in your head to be one way and uh, get them out like a different way. So that's been super awesome actually. Like, and you said they were worried about it being like sort of a traveler's guide. I'm like, give me the traveler's guide. Well, you know, I think the, the details and the layers and the love that they put into the actual land are part of what makes it work. And I think we all had that slight worry of like, is this going to, you know, be kind of like slick and plasticky. But I mean, the layers, the grunge, the the app you can download where you can like, you can um, hack uh, doors and open, yeah, and you can take jobs. Um, I, I've been teaching myself the Orabesh so I can just naturally read it when I go there. But like the app has, you can scan stuff and it'll translate the Orabesh for you. Wow, that's incredible. That's incredible. That is next level. I know. Leave it to Disney to create the most ultimate Star Wars experience that's ever been done, right? Oh yeah, and like especially the the market is so cool. Um, that's especially a lot of the details they added later in the market. Like when you go into the Zabaka's creature stall, there's all of these cages, like dozens, hundreds of cages hanging from the ceiling, and like there's stuff in them. There's flickering lights, moving loath cat tails, like shaking Kowakian monkey lizards. Like there's just so so much death that I was there for I guess four hours, and I still am like I miss so much stuff. That's hilarious and amazing. That's awesome. And I hear um, if you do the single rider on the Millennium Falcon, and the, it's you go very fast through it, and like you you miss so much. Like the Millennium Falcon line that you wait in is so flipping cool. Where you're like, I don't really want to miss that. Thank you. That's cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, we can't wait to go. We, we hope we our, our sort of preliminary plans are to hopefully get into Disneyland. Um, around celebration next year, but that it seems to be a, probably a really popular idea. So I don't know if that's actually going to happen with the team or not. But we, it's definitely on our radar. We got to get out there eventually. Something else we wanted to ask you about is Zareda Cordova's A Crash for Fate was released earlier this month. Now, did you two sort of coordinate and discuss your stories as you're both sort of writing under this Galaxy's Edge banner? Um, we did. She had she had to write hers before mine, so they sent me like uh, her her. Uh outline and some information on it and we talked a little bit because we we're already buddies the writer's awesome um she's such a great person amazing writer 
So we would ask little questions like, oh, well, did you do such and such? Because, you know, Zoraida and me and uh, I guess Ethan and Will doing the comic, we were all writing in this world and we were each told to kind of lean into certain characters. Like I was asked not to use Doc Ondar as much because they were using him. And so like they kind of got to establish Doc's voice and peculiarities or whatever. And I got to do more of Ogagara. So we, we, I didn't talk to the comics guys, but I did talk to Zoraida a bit where we would talk about, uh, you know, maps, shops, people, what we did or didn't include. Um, and it's always really nice. Like whenever somebody new starts to write Star Wars, um, you know, I always try to reach out and say hi if you have any questions or need some support. Like it, we're all we're all here for you in your DMs. Like you're not alone. It can, there are moments of writing Star Wars where you can feel like very overwhelmed. But uh, you know, we all try to help each other along with it. And Zoraida and I will actually be. I guess if this comes out on the 29th, we'll miss it. But she and I will be signing together um, at Hollywood Studios Launch Bay on the 28th of August. Oh, cool! Oh, wow! In Disney World. Nice. Very nice. cool. Um, so to talk you know, a little bit more about some of your older material that a lot of the listeners on this show really love, like Phasma. Yay! What were lessons that you took from writing Phasma that you employed this time around writing Black Spire? Well, they're really different books. Like, I think of Phasma as Mad Max in space. Um, and I think of Black Spire, you know, as, as, as Brooklyn Nine-Nine in space. <laughs> I love that, by the way. I love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I had a, a playlist for each book. I always use playlists to kind of get myself into the world. It's kind of behavioral conditioning. So I can just, whatever, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, if when I hear the music, I'm like, oh, I'm here. So when I hear the Mad Max Fury Road soundtrack, that I'm like, oh, yep, that's the time. That's amazing. Um, and then the, the playlist for uh, Black Spare is a lot more kind of, you know, happy little pop songs it's it's not as i mean there's certainly some violence in the world but that's not the, the overarching premises of it um but yeah star wars uh i feel like we're very fortunate the newer writers that we don't have to make our book um get along with like 200 eu books that all have yeah. mm -hmm. uh, there's no world bible um you're just kind of working with what you have and if you have questions the, the story group is is here for us yeah, it's like you you build an outline and it has to be pretty uh, complete and, and fleshed out. You know, we don't just, most of my books, I just start writing. I, I know the beginning and the instigating factor and the climax and the end, but most of it's organic. And the Star Wars books, you really have to outline them and that has to go through layers and layers of approvals with all of the, you know, people with it, all the stakeholders. Um, I know Alexander Freed for Alphabet Squadron, I think they said he had like a 36 page outline, single spaced. Wow. You know, it's like 10, 20,000 words at that point. Mine wasn't that bad. It's more like 10 to 14 pages. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, you know, doing Phasma, I knew what to expect this time. I knew, you know, that uh, I would probably lose a complete outline and that things would change. I knew that uh, there would be uh, 17 people in the comments all talking about different things. Uh, <laughs> I knew that after I finished the book, I'd have like a little burnout where I was like, I can't word for a while. This took all of my words. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, but, you know, you learn that that's kind of, and as a writer, you learn that every every book is its own process, but your process quite often follows uh, similar stages. So I kind of knew and could tell my friends and family, like, okay, once I'm done with Phasma, don't ask me to do anything for you for like two weeks because I... <laughs> Yeah, that it's I've I've heard multiple people say that like while working on Star Wars is is such an absolute joy. Like like the actual writing process is so challenging because so many different people are involved and that seems to be really the case. But you know, the thing I was I was very intimidated kind of the first time around, 
but it's all everybody is so uplifting and positive and kind like it's not like you're getting yelled at it's like people who love star wars as much as you are helping you make your star wars book better so you know the, the underneath it all is is everybody loves star wars and we want this to rock Totally. Now, really quick, well, I wanted to ask you about the dedication of Black Spire since we've been talking so much about it. Um, and uh, is it okay if I just go ahead and read the dedication really yeah, quick? Sure. Yeah. So the dedication for Black Spire says for Riss. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Reese. Reese. Oh, for Reese, who named Waba, and for Rex, who invented the Star Marks. I'm glad that Star Wars is part of you, and now you're officially part of Star Wars. So this is a really beautiful dedication, and I kind of wanted to get. Like, if you're willing to kind of sort of tell the story of what this means and kind of why you chose to put this at the very beginning, the first words of Black Spire. Oh, sure. Those are my babies. Those are my kids. Uh, my daughter, Reese, and my son, Rex. Um, they grew up in a Star Wars family. They were babies that had Star Wars onesies. We have pictures of them with lightsabers. Um, my daughter has incriminating pictures of her dress. She made up her own Ahsoka Tano bit where she wore underwear as a shoulder top and a pair of pantyhose as her leku. It was amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, we're, we're living the life right now. Um, and all, But, uh, you know, the first Phasma I dedicated to my husband, um, who had introduced me to RPGs uh, in college and killed me in a Jedi library with a pack of Nograi. Uh, so <laughs> Phasma dedication. But this one, it's like I, I wanted, I haven't really dedicated any books to my kids because most of my books are either violent or sexy, and that just doesn't work out very well for children. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it seemed like this one would be a good one to dedicate to them. And so um, I got to a point where uh, I guess Archex is hunting in the forest, uh, foraging when they first get to Batu, and he he kept he kills some birds to eat. And so I asked my son, like, if you could invent a bird, what would it look like? And he was like, oh, it would be a really fat purple pigeon. And I was like, what's it called? And he was like, star mark. And it has a star on its chest. So like Rex got to invent the star marks. Nice. Because he he loves pigeons. And then uh, my daughter, um, I asked her what would be a good name for um, a a big forest truffle hog and she said waba <laughs> that's so cool so they got it fits perfectly those sound like perfectly normal star wars names yeah so they're in there but you know also like in star wars adventures number five one of my all-time favorite star wars comics i got to write which was like the david attenborough style description of porgs um where it like breaks down uh you know like the pork is a bird so yeah I, I, in that one there's a shout out to my son's hermit crabs where it says like you know that Fortunate is the ravine crab that meets a porg and lives. And he has like a hermit crab named Ravine. So <laughs> I do little things for them all the time that I know that they'll like. Um, and then like in Phasma at the beginning, uh, Vi is knitting a uh, sweater or trying to. She's a really bad knitter. But it talks about like it's it's like this it, this yarn that's so nice it's illegal. That's like this very soft blue yarn from the hippoglace. Yeah. Like a, a Pantoran, you know, furry hippo. Like he loves hippos. So that's for him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, something I was going to ask you about is you really seem to put a little of like your own personality and flair into the characters that you write, and like I wanted to ask you about Vi knitting. Is are you a personally a knitter? Oh no, I'm I'm as bad as Vi. That's why she sucks at knitting. <laughs> Star Wars stink at things very much. Um, but yeah, at Celebration 2017, I was when I when I don't know what to do with myself at Celebration, I just go help out behind the Delray table because I I'd rather be working than figuring out what to do with myself. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, I was like, I was back there hanging out. Help! I don't know if I'm any help to them, but Lord love them. They have let me help. Uh, <laughs> fans were waiting in line and they were talking about, they were both knitting as they waited in this long line for, I guess, Tim's on or whatever. And they were talking about like, why does nobody ever knit in Star Wars? Like we see people wearing cowls. We see them wearing 
things that are obviously knit and they've never seen anybody knit Star Wars. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I'm going to put a knitter in Star Wars. Wow, that is amazing. That's so cool. And th- those, it were, now were these just people walking around that you heard, overheard, were, you said? They were Star Wars fans at Celebration waiting in line to get something signed by probably Tim Zahn or Chrissy Golden. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. So yeah. if you're listening and you were standing in line at Star Wars Celebration, <laughs> You have been the inspiration for an amazing addition to Star Wars. And it's cool. Um, I guess at uh, at Celebration, this last Celebration in Chicago, there was somebody uh, that came to one of my panels who was in the audience who was knitting with soft blue yarn. And she was like, it's Hippo Glacier. And I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, we also that's so cool, mentioned um, somebody is spinning, um, you know, doing hand spinning in, in mm-hmm. Black Spire. And then we also talk about, uh, you know, weaving on looms because this cloth has to come somewhere yeah that's totally. like a very kind of hands-on sort of place they also yeah. brew their own sour beer there amazing uh, that sort of thing you know like it's it's fun to we need we need artisans absolutely now uh you mentioned that you know there are some big fans that you heard of if they were able to bring up that specific type of yarn we have someone on the utini team who is I, I'm just going to go out there and say maybe one of the biggest fans of Phasma Yay! that I have ever met. Like She has the Phasma helmet. She talks about you actually all the time. She was super stoked that you were going to come here on this yeah. show. Her name is Meg Dowell, so I wanted to give Meg specifically a shout-out and just pass along her absolute love of the character and your work to you. Oh, yay. Thank you, Meg. Yeah, she's also uh, also a budding writer. She's an excellent writer. She writes for us a lot. She also writes for... Uh, um, dark side or what's it called? Dork side of the force, right? Dork and, side. Yeah. Yeah. We, when we told her we were interviewing you, she freaked out and was super excited. So, um, shout out to you, Meg. You do a lot of amazing work on our team and, uh, we wish you could be here to hang out with our good friend Delilah now. Yeah. And, and so we asked Meg if she had anything that she specifically wanted to ask you and, and she gave us a couple of things. So we wanted to pass these on from her and we're also really interested to hear what you have to say as well. Oh, awesome. Um, so the, the first one is, of all of the Star Wars projects that you've written, which one has fueled your love for the franchise or the community the most? Um, God, I mean, like every everything you know fits in there. But I, I will tell you that um, you know I, I don't I've never read fan fiction. Um, I feel like that's you know that's not for me. It's for the people who write it and read it. And so like I, I just kind of stay out of that world and let folks live their love. Um, but I have kind of heard, I had heard when writing Phasma, I'd heard things about the Kylux fan fiction and about, um, and I, I kind of enjoyed the thought of like these two petulant man babies, um, <laughs> you know, what it would be like if, if they, you know, were interacting. So I put in a little scene where I talk about Hucks in a crisp blue bathrobe on an ice blue couch. <laughs> um, and he has the line, you know, like Kylo Ren hates to wait. And it was like this little nod to to the Kylux fan fiction community. And they're just so lovely. <laughs> and so I love seeing I love seeing um Kylos and Huxes together. And I had a crew come by at celebration that had a bathrobe Hux holding Millicent, uh his, his <laughs> fan fiction orange marmalade cat. And um oh. there was a phasma and like a, a, a silver silk robe, and then there was a Kylo Ren. And uh, Kylo was wearing like a shirt made to look like a man's chest with like a- <laughs> 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 the idea that they had taken like this. I put in like two lines and Phasma snuck them in for like just to play around with this crew and be like, isn't this funny? Wouldn't they be terrible together? And then they like turned it into costumes. That is oh, man. absolutely I lo- hysterical. People are fans I love of- how 
bathrobe hucks or, ky or kylux or whatever like i i've drawn um millicent sitting on an ice blue sofa in their books so yeah, that's so cool yeah, that's hilarious i draw that for people I love how inclusive you are. I mean, you, you've told us so many stories already, even just, you know, asking your kids for names and, and taking things that you see from fans. Like, that's that's so cool of you to do and so nice of you to do. And I couldn't even imagine how that would feel to have something that, uh, you know, maybe that just as a fan you've thought of and then you see nods to it in actual Star Wars materials. Oh, dude, I love putting people's names in there. Um I have two two old friends, uh, like from from high school and from like one of my first jobs after college, that are big Star Wars fans that I keep up with on like Facebook and stuff. Um, Jeremy and Roy, and so like I snuck their names into into Black Spire, like at the beginning, the two ships that are um, harassing Vice Cargo, and it's like Jordan and Royce. So that's that's yes, that's, that's awesome. Jeremy, and wow, that's yeah, great. I, yeah, I yeah. In. So Meg did have one more question for you, and I have to I have to pass it along because again she's such a big fan. She <laughs> wanted to know which character has been the most fun or interesting for you to write specifically. Is it ones that you yourself created? Is it ones that you've got to write for that were someone else's creation? Who was it and why? I mean, it's always a super big honor and and slightly intimidating to write for you know the big three. I don't think I've written any Luke, but I've written a little bit of Leia and a little bit of Han. Um, but, you know, the, those big characters, you're just like, oh, this is this is a lot on my shoulders here. But at the same time, yeah. you know them so well that they're not that hard to write because you know exactly what they would say because you've been listening to them talk for 40 years. So, yeah, the first time I got to write either of those, it was all very like, oh, my God. But I would say recently that uh, Vi's droid Pook and Black Spire was super fun to write. Um, I imagine he sounds like a cross between Marvin the Paranoid Android from Hitchhiker's Guide and uh, <laughs> Alan Reichman as Snape. It's just That's it's like amazing. Just this existentially bored, like slightly antagonistic British jerk. So I heard the audiobook, but I, like I begged them. I was like, please, please give like this is what Pook should sound like. I don't care what anybody else sounds like, but this is what Pook needs to sound like. <laughs> yeah, I love I love running that droid. Yeah, bring on the sarcastic and hilarious droids, man. We've really gotten so many really, really great characters that are droids in the new stuff. Like L3 was amazing. K2SO was amazing. Uh, Mr. Bones from the uh, Aftermath series. Dude, I love Mr. Bones so much for Christmas that year. I had somebody on Etsy um, engrave a cheese board that said, like, I, you know, like, I will hug you with violence. And then I mailed that to you. <laughs> and I just like to think about cheese off it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah. I also love Zayd. I love Creaky. Like, I just love that whole little crew and how they get along in their banter. It was so fun to write banter because, like, Phasma was not a banter book. <laughs> but, yes. but it was very serious and kind of dark in ways. And, yeah, the droid, the droid banter is fantastic. Pook is a – what a great name, too, by the way. Thank you. Um, yeah, so changing gears a little bit to give you a chance to kind of shout out other things that are coming down the pipeline. In October, your retelling of the Skywalker saga is, yeah. is coming out, right? So. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about what exactly that book is, what fans can kind of expect from it, and like how did you sort of tackle something that, from what I understand, is a very all-encompassing, very large, huge amount of time covering story? Sure. Okay. So that one, um, last year was my first San Diego Comic-Con, and I was having like this Felix Felicis day where I looked like that happy um, meme of Leonardo DiCaprio walking down the street. Like everything that happened that day was incredible. <laughs> like I was in, I was in an elevator with Jason Mewes. It oh wow! Was a really good day. And I was walking along the way <laughs> on the way to meet with an editor um, and like a 
a rooftop hideaway and I was like so happy and uh Mike Siglin of, of, of Star Wars and Lucasfilm was like hey Delilah do you have a minute and so I'm like talking to my like the big boss like on the San Diego Bayfront he's like I have an idea I want to talk to you about it. I was like the answer is yes I don't even know what it is but it was it was the Skywalker saga and the idea was to take all of the movies and turn them into a fairy tale style retelling that refocuses the story um, to what would make kids eyes light up. You know, like if you, if you're starting with your kids watching with uh, Phantom Menace, it starts with a bunch of aliens talking about an embargo at a conference room. (laughs) (laughs) You're just like, really? Yes. Uh, That does not capture a child's attention. So, you know, instead, uh, Skywalker Saga starts with, you know, like, there was once a little boy who lived on Tatooine and had a dream, um, you know, about being a space wizard. I mean, not in those exact words, but it, it's it's written to uh, read out loud to a child um, or for an adult to enjoy. The illustrations by Brian Rood are incredible. Um, they're so gorgeous. It's going to be, like, just a really high-quality fairy tale storybook Um that, you know, is a thing you'll want to put on the shelf that you'll want to pull down. Um, that if you have kids who like to draw and they want to draw scenes from the movie, they could draw from those, which is what I did a lot from a, as a kid. And I wanted to draw as I pulled out my, my storybooks and read and, and drew off of them. And it, it all centers on the Skywalkers and Ray on the, the carriers of, you know, the, the destiny of, of the force here. So, you know, it goes from Anakin and Padme and then it goes to Luke and then we get some Leia in there. And then it comes down to, uh, Ray and you know a little bit of, of Kylo Ren because uh, they're all they're all tied together and you know I've been asked online like I, I don't have any outside information I haven't read episode nine I don't know if Ray is or is not a Skywalker um, it is all strictly told based on the movie I wasn't even like looking through the Wikipedia or pulling up you know fan stories like I was straight up watching the movie typing directly into my laptop and then you know editing that later wow so it, I mean it sounds like almost a la George Mann's recent uh, Myths and Fables book that came out, but for the actual saga as opposed to some of the stories that he was telling. Yeah, he, um, he got to completely make stuff up, and I was just retelling the movie, right. condensing it to the important parts and that you have to know to understand the story and to, to make kids interested. That's a, that's a, and a great mission to have. We always want to try and bring in as many new fans as we can to keep this story going for as long as we can. Um, so... This is one of the last questions that we always ask everyone who comes on the show. And it is a deep question, so feel free to take a second if you need to to really think about this. But This is the one that asks, would I rather fight a horse-sized duck or a thousand duck? (laughs) 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 Who who told you? Who told you? (laughs) Um, No, so this question is essentially... Star Wars is at its core about legacy, and you know this very well if you are, you know, writing a, a retelling of the Skywalker saga. But we really feel here on the Living Force that everyone who helps to create Star Wars has a small part in that legacy and also has a legacy of their own. So, with what you've done in the Star Wars universe so far, what do you want your legacy to be whenever you leave? What do you want to be remembered for doing? Um, I, I guess I would want my legacy to be writing tenacious, kick-ass women who are real characters where you don't just see, um, you know, the, the beautiful, polished, 
uh, succeeding side. But with every female character I've written, you also see um, the trauma, the pain, the history, uh, how they became who they did, which was, you know, never through uh, like the, the kind of cheap backstory that sometimes we complain about. People use like, oh, I need to give a woman agency. She got raped. Like, that's not a way that my characters work. Um, so yeah, just showing real women who, who struggle and fail and, and keep going. And, uh, you know, maybe like Phasma did that. She's not, I wouldn't say she's a, a great person. Um, but you know, that the whole point of that book was to show why she, why she became who she did. And, and then, you know, even with Bazine Natal, you know, I guess tell the backstory of why she wears that cowl and, and, and how she became the spy that she is. So yeah, like that's what I, you know, growing up, I had Princess Leia and she was, she was amazing and she was a strong woman. Um, you know, a giant space slug put her in chains and she choked him to death. It was amazing. <laughs> um, but I, I just love getting to, to write these, these strong women. That's, yeah, that's awesome. That's, oh, and you know, also, that's great. Um, I, I don't know if you've, if you've gotten there, how far have you gotten in Box Warrior? Uh, I'm about halfway. Okay. Anyway, we, I will just say this. Um, we introduced the first canonically ace character in the Star Wars universe. Oh, interesting. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Delilah, thank you so much for coming on the show. At the opening, we called you a superstar, and we totally meant it. Like, you've really done a lot of really incredible work for Star Wars, and we really can't wait to see what else you do. So just thank you so much for coming on. Thank you all so much for having me. Yeah. And now, now, now before we, yeah, totally. Now, before we close out, I'd like to kind of turn the floor over to you to give you a chance to let our listeners know where they can find you online, whether that's social media or website, um, kind of what you currently have coming down the pipeline and really just anything else that you'd like to share about your professional uh, stuff you're working on, anything like that. Oh, sure. Thanks. Um, ooh, I got a lot of stuff. Uh, so my website is whimsydark.com. Um, but if you search Delilah S. Dawson, it, it's like the first thing that pops up. Um, but you can see all of my books there. I have written in a ton of different genres and media. So I've written um, young adult, romance, horror, um, humorous fantasy, a bunch of different comics um, and IP stuff as well. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot. Uh, my name over there is Delilah S. Dawson. And it's on Instagram, too, as Delilah S. Dawson. But on, on Twitter, um, I talk a lot. I give writing advice. I talk about books. Um, if you have an ungoogleable question about writing or publishing, I'm usually pretty happy to answer it. Um, also, my website, if you're a writer, I have a page called Writer Resources, um, a tab at the top that's got all of the links I use to learn how to get published, including this article I wrote on uh, 25 Steps to Being a Traditionally Published Author that still is making the rounds. And I have events there as well. So I have several events coming up. Um, I will be at the Surrey International Writers Conference this October, as well as the Florida Writers Association Conference. Uh, Kevin Hearn and I uh, we'll be doing a short little tour for uh, The Princess Beard, the next book in our Tales of Pell series. All in, oh, and I'll nice. be at New York Comic Con. So all that's coming up. Um, and then in the book world, um, I write, well, I write the comic Marvel Action Spider-Man. So uh, that one's kind of constantly ongoing. Um, I have written a Firefly graphic novel called The Sting. It'll be out cool. in the that is a ladies-only heist. It's uh, Ocean's Interesting. And Firefly um, with Saffron. <laughs> And uh, yeah, Black Spire and Skywalker Saga. Um, I've got a Star Wars adventure comic coming out with uh, Amalyn Holdo and Leia as teenagers. So it's around Leia Princess Alderaan era. Oh, sweet. That'll be excellent. That's one of our favorites. Yay. Oh, and I, I write a creator-owned comic called Star Pig that is about a giant floating space tardigrade. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. I think, I think well, that's, that's probably enough. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, Delilah, thanks again for coming on the show. Well, guys, I think that will do it for this week's episode of The Living Force. If you are new here, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and tune in every single week to hear the crew at Utini talk about the Star Wars Expanded Universe. So please leave us a review on iTunes to help people find us and head over to utini.com for reviews, articles, and comprehensive book profiles on every single story in the Star Wars galaxy. If you're looking to buy some books, including the newly released Black Spire by Delilah Dawson, and want to help support the show, check out and find the book on utini.com. Click the Amazon link, and we'll get a few cents to help keep the lights on. If you'd like to help us out more directly, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash utini, or you can join our amazing patrons, Dylan Sasser, Adam Dyson, Timothy Dunlap, and recently, Rural Farm Boy. If you want your thoughts on the show, email us at livingforce at utini.com. And tweet at us at Living Force Pod. Or you can join our Utini Discord community by going to utini.com slash Discord. You can find us on Twitter, like Delilah already mentioned. At Delilah S. Dawson, Eric is at Eric Eilerson. I am found as Doc Star Wars MD, and Charles is at C. Hankel. Special thank you to our Matt Davenport, our incredible editor, Freddie, our producer, and Wes, our community manager. Delilah, thank you once again for podcasting with us. Charles, thanks again for podcasting with me. And as always, may the Force be with you. There is no hatred. There is joy. There is no division. There is union. There is no apathy. There is passion. There is no gatekeeping. There is community. This is the Utini Star Wars Fan Code. Embrace it. Live by it. And above all, trust in the living force. That's all for this week. Join our community and surround yourself with like-minded fans by visiting us online at utini.com. Until next time, may the force be with you.